Hello and welcome to Ditch Finvox, Voices in Digital Finance. I'm your host, Jane DiBiazio. If you enjoy this program, give us a like, subscribe, tell that algorithm. My guest today is Ganesh Rangaswamy, managing partner at Kona Capital, an venture capital firm dedicated to emerging markets. They've just raised a fintech-specific fund, so I spoke with Ganesh about the state of fintech, financial inclusion, what he's investing in and not, and what fintech looks like in the new macro environment. Ganesh Rankaswamy, welcome to DigFinVox. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me, Jim. It's my pleasure to have you, and it's an auspicious time for Quona Capital. You're a venture capital business with headquarters dually in Washington, D.C. and in Bangalore, where you are, uh, and you focus on fintech in emerging markets, or rather investments in emerging markets, and you have just uh, funded uh, your third fund uh, to the tune of about $332 million to focus Mm -hmm on fintech. So 2021, we saw a huge boom in VC funding in general, and specifically a lot in fintech. This year has been difficult to say the least. Uh, I think we all know the basics of that story. And yet here you are now coming out with a pretty sizable fintech dedicated fund. So why fintech and why now? Sure, thank you. And thanks for that. Uh, really appreciate the context. Um, just maybe uh, to answer your question, I'll have to go back a bit uh, and give some context on Kona. And the three of us who founded Kona uh, come from a very um, 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 so similar background. We have similar backgrounds in terms of uh, having been entrepreneurs and investors in tech, fintech, uh, digitization in various countries, started our careers in the valley and we're deep tech operators before we started this. You know, we, over time, I think um, we have kind of realized that we look at FinTech is a space that we get excited and, and, and uh, excited about, but not necessarily because it helps create cool uh, financial innovations, but more importantly, we look at financial innovation and FinTech as uh, uh, you know, sort of oil that greases the economic engine and uh, financial innovations can be applied across varied sectors. Mm-hmm. whether it's uh, in digital health and, and, and fintech, mobility and fintech, supply chain and fintech, agri, food tech uh, and fintech, so on and so forth. And so we, we can, we, it gives us the fortunate vantage point to back entrepreneurs who can make a phenomenal difference across various verticals. And uh, financial innovation or fintech is sort of a tool, uh, means, that, means to make that happen and not necessarily the end goal. But, and, and it gives us a great, uh, fortunately, a good platform and it's a space where we happen to have a fair bit of expertise both as entrepreneurs and investors from before and that's why it makes uh, uh, it made a lot of sense for us and the last uh, last point uh, uh, you know there is we are very much focused on global emerging markets mm-hmm. uh, across asia africa latam and middle east and we invest in 14 countries today and we over 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 a decade or so we have built very unique expertise in being able to understand consumers and SMEs in emerging markets, which you know happens to be as as you know uh, a differentiated skill set compared to SMEs and consumers necessarily in more developed markets, and that's been that's actually helped us find some very exciting financial innovation entrepreneurs creating 
very exciting financial innovation um, uh, that we, which is the kind of stuff we like to back. When you said that the the ultimate use case isn't fintech per se, but it's rather it's in agriculture or it's in uh, you know some other uh, you know e-commerce or some other facets of of economic activity. Where does fintech come in? Are you finding like? Are you looking at companies that are fintech plays and that they're just bolting into different kinds of use cases? Or are you looking more at founders and companies that are not about fintech but need to have some sort of payments or credit or insurance or some kind of uh, financial aspect to realize their mission? Yeah, great question. Um, I would say I would say both, but just to give you uh, uh, maybe examples. We okay. obviously back opportunities which are in classical, you know, payments uh, in, in terms of being related to making payments and remittances efficient to emerging markets or, or SME credit or consumer credit or insurance or so on and so forth. At the same time, over time, what's happened is uh, financial, you know, fin digitization and fintech have kind of evolved to become more experiential and, and sort of point of experience and point of and, and contextual and hence we are starting to see that these solutions can be embedded as a part of the whole vertical supply you know a certain vertical supply chain right? like we have a portfolio company called Arya for example in India which is the largest grain commerce company in the country post harvest grain commerce company so they they go from aggregation at farm gate all the way to market leakages and along the way they do warehousing and collateral management but all of this, because they have control of, of the produce right from the farm gate, it gives them the ability to provide collateral management to banks and also gives them the ability to provide financing to farmers and uh, to, to sort of wait it out so that they get the best price there for the produce. Because Arya also creates market linkage and a lot of times you need to figure out how to match supply and demand to help farmers get the best price. So is it a fintech solution? Maybe, may not be. But it's an integrated solution where the financial innovation actually makes a big difference. And part of how they underwrite these customers is through the data that they gather as, as, as a part of owning a produce right from the farm gate. So that's one example. But you now look, we have 60 plus portfolio companies, some which would be squarely fintech, but some which would be very much integrated solutions like Aria. Yeah. Okay, thanks. What We're in a, a new environment. You've, you've done a raise at a very interesting time. Um, not not easy to get funding right now, so I guess congratulations are in order for that. But Thank you. we've got you know obviously challenging macro conditions, maybe not as challenging in our part of the world as they are in the West, but nonetheless, the era of free money is definitely over. Uh, mm -hmm. Inflation is making itself felt in one manner or another. Um, interest rates are on the rise, uh, and this is putting a lot of strain on many types of businesses. It's good for some, but difficult for many others. Uh, how is that going to color the opportunities that you've got as you look to deploy? Yeah, great question and, and absolutely very topical. I think we are super fortunate uh, to have uh, raised the fund at the right time. And you know, this was supposed to be a 250 million fund, but given uh, how we have performed and the faith of our, uh, our LPs, our investors, uh, we were actually able to raise a well oversubscribed fund. Um, you know, and we invest uh, uh, really in early stages. So between seed to series A, right? So we are really a classical venture capital fund in that sense and, and arguably the largest focused exclusively on emerging markets for fintech. 
Um, so there is there is frankly not much of a slowdown there. The good part is we are there is enough slowdown to give us more time to be able to evaluate things with with lot less uh, FOMO and uh, with lot more uh, intentionality and and and, and deliberation. Uh, but at the very early stages, seed and series A, I think you're still still seeing fairly interesting opportunities uh, coming along. Uh, but you're able to catch your breath, which wasn't the case last year. Um, as you so so, this is a great time for us as Kona because that's where we are looking for exciting founders. As you go down the chain in terms of later stage rounds, yes, absolutely. If, you know, uh, in, if you go Series C and beyond, these are these are very stringent times where downstream capital is, uh, is, 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 I think, evaluating opportunities with a lot greater, I would say, discretion and diligence at this so point. That, yeah, at that Series C and beyond, I guess, really now you're preparing a company to go IPO, and um, and that's the name of the game. So it's all about you know boosting those valuations, hitting the next milestone, hopefully finding an exit. But exits right now are, are super difficult. Um, in, in this new environment which you're you're coming in at the seed and series a level uh what kind of fintech models will work best what's going to be the kind of stuff that excites you and and you think has good prospects and of course concurrently uh what are you going to stay away from <laughs> yeah um, you know as you can imagine it's something that um uh, it's, it's, it's quite dynamic and keeps evolving uh, and, and is a significant point of discussion within Kona. And also, again, contextually, we invest in 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 vast number of markets. And it's, the answer is not the same for each of these markets. Uh, but directionally, I think we are quite uh, bullish and excited about infrastructural opportunities. Uh, you know, if you look at financial services infrastructure, uh, uh, there are you know, a couple of uh, uh, maybe big contextual points. One is a lot of the infra around banking, credit, uh, wealth, payments, insurance, et cetera, is, 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 is probably been around for two, three decades and not changed fundamentally. Um, and the other, the uh, added to that, the real world has evolved quite a bit. I think the digitization, leverage of data, cloud, uh, learning models, uh, you know, artificial intelligence models, uh, mobile you know as a platform ubiquitous platform etc has has have led to fundamental shifts and in how consumers smes etc experience services and how services can even the products can even get delivered so we see fundamental shifts in infrastructure uh, uh, likely to happen over the next uh, over the coming years and that's just, that's in general something we are bullish on uh, because sort of rearchitecting infra is going to be a big thing um, that's one. Okay. The second, which I've already referred to multiple times, I think even this conversation is that we just believe the whole uh, world is going to become a lot more contextual in experience and less transactional. Like in the past, a lot of financial services still about decade, decade and a half ago were more uh, transactional. Uh, I think it's shifting and shifting significantly to becoming more contextual. And the ability to deliver better services is enhanced because of that, uh, due to the fact that um, con contextual services have more data and understanding to be able to make a credit decision or to be able to make an insurance underwriting decision or a payment fraud decision, so on and so forth. Uh, is it mature? Absolutely not. But are we starting to see green shoots to different extent in different markets? Uh, absolutely. 
So you mean anecdote, just what you mean in terms of that, what's a transactional type of story versus a contextual, just to just illustrate this for us. So we know a little more clearly about what that means. Sure. Um, so, you know, I'm, uh, I guess 16, 17 years ago, I uh, co-founded a company called Travel Guru, which was, uh, you know, which became uh, uh, one of the largest hotel consolidation platforms in India and Southeast Asia. Now, the digital payment trails weren't very well set up at that point in time. So you kind of come to our platform and go through the discovery process, put in all your filter criteria and you get your choices of, you know, what hotel you want to book or, 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 or the likes. Um, in the beginning, uh, in fact, my own father has come to our office to make a payment after making that booking. So it was that broken, right? Of course, it got better with time. You had credit card integration, so on and so forth. But today, it's become so seamless that you know this whole commerce and fulfillment of this transaction, uh, I don't even need to go to a travel website. I might actually be in some on 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 some somewhere on the on the net, and based on the fact that I want to sort of book a flight to Dubai, uh, I might actually get a contextual uh, uh, option, okay. and be able to book and fulfill that transaction with seven different kinds of payment options on the okay. website itself. I mean, that's a very rudimentary uh, example, but you know that's 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 what that's the way we have see, we are seeing the world change. And that context. What's the let, let's put your contextualization into the broader context of the 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 financial models this involves, i.e., embedded banking or other types of things um, that sort of API connectivity between banks, fintechs, consumer companies, uh, and, and and so on. Uh, where where do you like to play in that in that theme? Um, and is that the primary theme, or are there other ways from a fintech perspective to play this con this contextualization? Uh, story that you're talking about? Yeah, great question. Um, I think we'll probably see con contextualization in a few different ways. I, I think uh, definitely with digitization and evolution of digital commerce, we are going to see um, uh, contextual solutions in the context of digital commerce. Having said that, even in uh, non uh, um, traditionally non-digital supply chains, I know, like I spoke about the agri example with Arya. We are seeing a similar example across uh, an uh, you know an export import supply chain theme in one of our portfolio companies. We are seeing a similar theme across a mobility company in our portfolio, uh, where we are trying to see embedded solutions uh, for uh, you know for their consumers and for their uh, drivers. So there is there is a digital contextualization, and then there is. Uh, uh, contextualization in traditionally non-digital platforms where there is some combination of digitization and fintech being presented in that context uh, to the consumers. Not that we are completely digitizing the entire value chain, but there is a role in which you can, where, as you said, the, you, know, you, can, you can enable solutions where the APIs talk to each other and the financial solution can be provided as a part of the existing supply chain, uh, a value chain journey. Right. So we are seeing both uh, okay. uh, on digital and non-digital fronts. I, I'm not going to let you off the hook. I asked you earlier, what are you not investing in? What looks uh, unattractive <laughs> in this environment? So I'm, I'm, I'm chasing yes. that one down. So I'm gonna <laughs> tell, us, tell us, tell us what, what, what looks dodgy or difficult right now. Uh, yeah, I think um, uh, I wouldn't pick as one specific theme, but I would say uh, broadly, we are, there were a number of consumer opportunities, whether it's in payment, whether it's in wealth, uh, whether it's even in consumer uh, lending, 
where we saw uh, very aggressive action over the last 3-4 uh, years leading up to beginning of 22, um, where in some, in, in some cases, even the basic um, principles of finance were rewritten, where the uh, people were sort of acquiring eyeballs, even for, even for credit solutions, they were actually giving cashbacks and discounts to push the credit solutions through to the consumers. So fundamentally, uh, uh, you know, business models which fundamentally believe in attracting a lot more eyeballs and getting market share, and then we are saying that we'll figure out a way to solve for monetization and profitability, I think a strict no-no. Uh, they've always been a no-no for us because in financial services and financial services, we believe that uh, it's a, you can clearly have a clear, you can clearly have an articulated business model, revenue model from day one. Uh, and day one necessarily doesn't mean day one, but we shouldn't be applying classic principles of, let's say, what we have seen in e-commerce um, in, in several cases to, to financial services. It's a lot more regulated and clearly articulated exchange between a consumer or a customer and a service provider. So, so there are a number of consumer models which we are, which we, which we have been cautious about uh, in the past and continue to be. Can I re just to make sure I understand the way that you're presenting that argument is you would say that say a super app type gambit uh, might still be appropriate in an e-commerce or ride hailing or some other broader use case, but a super app from a financial services point of view, you're saying is probably going to be unprofitable and unsustainable. Did I get? Is that fair? Um, that that's close. I would say it slightly differently, which is even if you look at ride hailing and in number of countries in Asia, we have examples of that. Uh, the jury is still out, at least in eight out of 10 markets mm -hmm. on whether you have been able to build anchor super apps around, let's say, ride hailing platform. And in a number of our countries, we in South Asia and Southeast Asia, we have seen companies try and fail um, uh, beyond the top one or two which we can name most have found it challenging still uh, and 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 it's a it's a question of what is your arpu how big are the ticket sizes how consistent is the is the engagement and retention and what's the value you get out of it for a small um, uh, average order value or arpu and the uh, compared to the fixed cost infrastructure and the very because you need on top of it to deliver these services, right? Now, is, uh, the other thing I would say to uh, to kind of slightly tweak what you said in, is, in a way, a financial services super app should be a bank. So okay. if you are building a digital bank, if a quality digital bank, which is a, which is a debate on its own on where it's being built well and where not, but if you are building a quality bank in some ways, that is sort of a uh, providing a broader set of financial services. And, and 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 either they're providing a lot of them themselves or anchor services themselves and becoming aggregator of remaining services, but providing holistic set of services. So in some ways, when 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 we talk about super app in financial services, one can one can push back by saying, hey, a well run. What do we think a well run bank is or should be? Okay, so so that could just be uh, that that could easily be a. A DBS or an HDFC or one of these, you know, that or an ICICI that that does a better job of digitizing their existing user base with all the different services and add-ons that they have, as opposed to someone trying to stitch together a bunch of fintech ideas and then call and either get a license or or call it call it something, but you know, walks like a bank and talks like a bank. Yeah. So yes, but I would just qualify it by saying so. We have about uh, six or seven. Uh, digital banks in our portfolio. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, number of them are licensed and the remaining are on the in the process of getting licensed and they're built sort of their core banking their digital delivery platforms everything from scratch right and build their customer base from scratch uh, uh, building open AP, open banking apis to be integrate to be able to integrate with various services so uh, i'm i'm i definitely feel that there is room to create uh, powerful digital banks because uh, existing banks won't be able to dramatically change themselves to completely cover banking in a new world comprehensively and there will be room room for everyone it's not winner take all business but i am clear that new models will get created having said that i think uh, I, i we are not sure it will get created with a super app kind of mindset because that's that's a different commerce uh, and transaction kind of mindset uh, uh, to digitization how much of what you look at in the fintech world uh, ganesh is um, you know as an investor you investing in sort of hard tech ip uh you know really new innovative stuff or is the innovation coming from business models uh perhaps taking uh business model disruptors from china or the us or other places and adapting them for conditions in emerging markets or taking other emerging markets as as inspiration but essentially it's just uh trying to make more efficient uh what you've already got to to deliver you know to to, to get easy wins essentially in in places that are underbanked or 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 have not been sufficiently connected in the past yeah it's a great question uh you know because i think over over the last 15 to 20 years you know in in the time span that we have experienced this as individuals and as a, as 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 you know and as a firm that we started now 8 9 years ago we have seen it change dramatically Mm-hmm. uh right so there was a period when you know i started my venture career in the valley with greylock partners and obviously we saw pretty very tech from applied technology to uh, very deep tech uh, and then i was also on the board of number of microfinance companies which went public and that's kind of as non tech as it gets right and uh, we saw first version of fintech in number of emerging markets 10 12 years ago where they were really more about applied tech of some models which are working other places to see how we can fast forward the last 10 12 years i would say there's been dramatic change even in infrastructure and public infrastructure right like if you take india the upi unified mm-hmm. payment interface the whole india stack you know like digital digital locker and uh, uh, paperless uh, layer and the digital id stack etc has been built from scratch and 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 is ubiquitous today like i have not i have no i i haven't carried cash in last two and a half years in india i only carry my wallet and cash when i travel now but i got to remember that hey it's this is not going to work everywhere qr doesn't work everywhere right so just fundamentally the infra has changed in number of these places to varying degrees i mean you're seeing similar changes in indonesia and philippines in nigeria and brazil with fix etc so the ability to copy models is gone and that's great because founders who try to copy models from supposedly other successful countries they have to literally redo things but if your mindset is i can copy and make something work in the, in in an emerging country that's slowly fading away uh, especially in number of the markets we are active in like india indonesia brazil etc so uh, and that's also giving an opportunity to be able to create some very interesting um, um, uh, deep tech models building on top of this public infrastructure so we have seen an interesting shift over the last i would say 8 to 10 years uh of building uh, building for 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 the respective markets 
and building sort of originally for the respective market. It could be applied tech or it could be deep tech. And we kind of look at both, even though I would say it's more applied tech mm -hmm. and really stitching together innovative business models. But these business models are truly built for these, uh, these markets. As a global um, emerging, I, yeah. As a global emerging markets VC, Ganesh, are you l more interested in opportunities in countries that have developed this kind of public digital infrastructure? You know, does does an India with UPI give you more to play with uh, than um, you know a large emerging market that just doesn't have that kind of public infrastructure? Yeah, great, great question, uh, and something we keep debating all the time. I, you know, we have. Now, having done this for a while and with our vantage point of seeing this 14 plus countries we invest in, we understand that, uh, you know, an opportunity set in each country. And by the way, a number of our companies are also regional companies and some are even global, right? So they're not all necessarily country specific. Um, so there's that dynamic as well. But we understand that uh, the evolution of maturity of a market uh, has multiple different dimensions. The Public infrastructure is one of them. Um, and these things move at different pace in different markets. But at each point, we are collectively trying to see what is maturity of a market against the opportunity being presented to us in the market. And is it worth taking a bet? So mm -hmm. I wouldn't say we would only look at one versus the other more. But yes, naturally, uh, there's a reason why India, Brazil, and Indonesia have are our top three markets. They're probably larger markets, and they can be standalone markets on their own. And there is also evolution and some maturity. In, in, in tech and digitization of infrastructure. So yeah. in some ways, yes, but we don't necessarily uh, differentiate on that, that dimension. You touched on uh, a few of your portfolio companies are cross-border. Is this public infrastructure that countries like India build? Um, we're seeing it, you know, other connectivity throughout the uh, Southeast Asian marketplaces and maybe via Singapore, some connections between India and Southeast Asia. Uh, less so perhaps to Africa or Brazil, but um, are you seeing more companies able to take advantage of this to be to be international players, maybe at a regional level, but at least not just limited? Um, and is that is that you know because obviously that scalability is important to a venture capitalist, right? You in India it's big enough maybe that you can you can be happy with a company that just plays in India for a long time, but ultimately you want I assume you're looking for for stories that that can really become regionalized or, or globalized. Is that getting easier? Are we getting to a point where there's more of a, a regional dimension to fintech companies? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a very, very good point. I think as the, excuse me, as we are seeing evolution of infrastructure digitization, as the regulators talk to each other more, um, as, you know, uh, tech, and 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 tech driven distribution platforms become more table stakes it leads to more standardization across the markets mm -hmm. and and to that extent you are absolutely right we are starting to see companies which um, are a lot more ambitious now than they were 7 8 years ago and even in the last 5 years we would have we would have seen companies which will say hey i'll do well in a big market and then sort of do sub regional or regional uh, today we are starting to see companies which sometimes from day one have have a plan to, uh, to go regional and in some cases with infrastructure solutions go global and, but at the same time they realize global doesn't mean as a startup you have the ability to be in 12 markets in one year but right. the the vision helps you build foundation infrastructure product from the point of view of being able to extend it 
when you want to yeah. um, um and and we are very much seeing the thought process uh, 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 shape up quite rapidly in that direction finance though in in its various forms is heavily regulated uh, often and of course that regulation is country by country uh so how much of a barrier uh, is that to being able to scale uh outside of one's home country uh, is that getting easier or is it still the same same challenges as as before yeah it's that's a tough one um you know i don't envy the regulator's job uh, it's getting complicated obviously technology has added a whole massive dimension to uh, to digitization of finance um i i i'll stay off the crypto discussion because that's a conversation on its own on how you how you regulate and all of that so i don't envy the regulator it's a challenging job uh, having said that i think uh, has it net net gotten better yes has the scrutiny generally gone up absolutely but has it gotten better to kind of say look if i'm regulated in one country if i'm regulated in india let's say for a for for let's say uh, an onboarding kyc or fraud detection solution can with similar principles can i get accepted by the regulators in indonesia uh, the answer today uh, is more likely to be yes than it was 5 years ago so has it gotten better yes but it still has we have we have some distance to cover on that front it's not smooth right. obviously right last question before we wrap up and thanks for your time uh when we talk about emerging markets we're often talking about financial inclusion is uh mm -hmm. it's a big driver uh how, how much of that plays and ultimately how lucrative can financial inclusion as a business target be because uh, it gets talked about a lot, and of course, yes. we are seeing improvements. But at the end of the day, we are talking about the the lower end segments of of any given marketplace. They might be very large, obviously, in places like India and Indonesia, very large. But nonetheless, are these places where you know your LPs are going to expect you to be you know um, knocking it for six? Uh, is that is that really possible when you're dealing with uh, with a heavy financial inclusion program in your in your portfolio? yeah i'm i'm so glad you asked that question um so i'll give you three data points why we believe in this aside from the, my first comment which is the fact that i wouldn't be doing this if we truly didn't believe it uh, obviously i i bet my career on it but 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 on a more serious note um you know uh, within the kona partnership we have been part of the five largest microfinance ipos um uh, you know that microfinance ever saw and these are ranging from sort of uh, you know couple of 100 million to about 10 billion in valuation right and uh, four of those are today actually all five are full are, are banks in their respective markets so one of the things we fortunately learned early about uh, you know 10 12 years ago when we were right in the, in the middle of experience experiencing this is that if done with a lot of focus and 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 with the right uh, uh, execution focus of products execution and distribution there is scale uh, in 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 this space, and you can you can hopefully with scale be able to deliver a very um, um, a commercially successful solution. The other dimension to this also is that in most markets we are in, whether it's Nigeria, India, Philippines, Thailand, Indonesia, Mexico, Brazil, uh, anywhere between sixty to eighty percent of the target segment is what could be defined as not well served. Mm -hmm. Right, this is lower middle class and below, uh, and this is a vast segment. In reality, the, you know, one one 
today we hope this segment one we call financial inclusion or impact segment this is the real deal i mean this is majority of these countries so uh, uh, so so we believe that with that kind of scale it's very much possible to be able to create commercially viable solutions and the last um, last bit is with the digitization of the world and all the tools that i talked about earlier the solutions being designed for these markets are not necessarily the same as what we have seen traditionally which is also why if you look at kona you know we are proud to have who is who lps right we have uh, some of the uh, most well known fortune 100 financial service institutions as lps we have some large sovereigns pension funds found some of the best known foundations etc and they and we are we are we are proud to say that they all believe we can be this conduit between sort of the impact financial inclusion world and the mainstream commercial success world of startup and that's the conduit role we are we are trying to play so we absolutely believe in that great well ganesh rangaswamy thank you so much for taking some time to speak with me at digpin box thank you very much jim really appreciate appreciate uh, this and wonderful conversation thanks so much <laughs>